Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right. Hello, I'm Ali Jones and we're back for a third series this Thursday of Where Did It All Go Right? And we're very lucky to be sponsored by Pearson. To whet your appetite, here's some highlights from season one. That Games as a whole was the culmination and the climax of decades of work. Like the real mountaintop on the last night, men's 15. It was so weird because in the moment of doing it, I recognised the magnitude of what I was doing. My dad noticed, but nobody else would have done. But my voice was cracking when I said, and now the final of the men's 1500 metres. And I almost started crying. I can feel myself going now, just getting a bit emotional thinking about it. But yeah, we came off air and I said to them, right, you old guys go to the bus. I walk really quickly. I said, I'll catch you up. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And I took my headset off and the stadium was pretty empty. And I remember just thinking, that's it. That's it. This, this is the culmination of decades of work, great help from, from a certain number of people and a little bit of ability, hopefully. And I thought, if I die tomorrow, I've done it. And I was, what was it, two years ago? Now? I was 41 at the time. And I, and I thought, there is no other piece of work for any amount of money anywhere in the world that anybody could offer me that would supersede this experience. I've done it. And then I sat there and I thought, right, what am I supposed to do now? Everything's been about this and I've done it. Yeah. What the hell do I do now? And I thought, well, this is pretty simple. My goal now, my number one ambition is to open as many doors for my son as possible. I want my son to one day feel a moment of satisfaction about his job as I've done about mine. Yeah. There's two really big cards that life can deal you. One is a loving, supporting home environment. Mm-hmm. Now, That doesn't necessarily have to have a lot of money in that home. It just needs to be supportive. A loving mum and dad who can give you that confidence and that platform and that belief is of paramount importance. And I don't think you truly realise the benefit of that until you grow up and you see the results of scenarios where people haven't had that. And also when you then get married and have kids and you realise how knackering it is and Your love is unconditional, but your patience isn't. And you realise how much patience your parents showed to you. And the other one is your education. And, you know, I touched on this earlier. Mum and dad didn't come from a particularly wealthy back. Well, they both grew up on council estates, but they only had me. And they decided that they would plough all their money into my education. So I went to a very good primary school. I went to a very good public school. I went to a really good university. And they ensured I had all those experiences and never came out with a penny of debt well if life deals you those cards the education and the family you almost owe it to everybody out there who didn't have those two cards to bloody well make the most of it Mm -hmm. and never forget how lucky you were that you were on that start line already one step ahead if we kind of think back to the sort of where did it all go right for you there's quite a few factors aren't there the two lucky cards that you talk about yeah Having grits and determination, though, that's massive and and sort of not taking no for an answer. Yes, I am incredibly driven. If I have a goal, 
I will move heaven and earth. I, and I've never trodden on anyone to try and get there. I would never do that. Yeah. But if I, if I get an idea in my head and I think I might be good enough to do something, I will leave no stone unturned in my quest to try and make it happen. And it will either happen or I'll give it everything mm. and be ballsy enough and honest enough to turn around and say I wasn't good enough. There's no point in regretting the things you haven't done. You should, I'm, I'm not talking about in the case of a crime. Other than a crime, you should always only ever regret what you have done. Yeah. Because then you're not left wondering what if. For, for, for two years, I was, I was homeless from the age of around 11 to 13. And that was in hostels in, in London. And I was surrounded by people from all over the world. And I guess each one had had a story to tell. And I always felt I was a collector of stories. I used to ask people, where did you come from? And what have you seen along your journey here? And even though I, I had only come from the northern part of the UK to the southern part, I, I still felt, well, even though they came from halfway across, across the world, we still had something very much in common, which was we were in this place and we all wanted to find a safe haven a place of belonging a place of acceptance and fundamentally we have so much more in common than divides any any of us as, as human beings but i was fascinated with all the stories that i would hear and there were some horrific stories that you know people people human beings amaze me at what they can endure and the struggles that they go through and i think i always wanted to tell some of those stories in the, in some way and I think my experiences working in in the West Bank really really left a mark and I wanted to look at okay we've got we've got Palestinians on one side of this wall and Israelis on the other how can I get two people to meet and let's see the difficulties that they would face in keeping a relationship mm. alive mm. and and there's a lot i mean a physical barrier is it, i mean it is immense when you see that west bank wall you just kind of think to yourself walls only create segregation and if there's any chance of unity it won't happen with a physical barrier, mm. ultimately, because the the mind then becomes hardwired to think in terms of barriers, because that's what it sees. Mm. That's what it sees every day. Mm. Yeah. So, did you feel that you were there was quite a part of you that had a unified existence as a child, even though you were homeless, because there was a group of you who were all displaced, yeah, absolutely, and you were all in it together, really. Mm. We. The, the struggle, you share the struggle together. So whether that struggle be getting food, whether that struggle be finding clothes for the younger kids who were living in the hostels, even finding a pan to cook. And it's those simple things that once you experience that, it really makes you appreciate what everything you've worked for later in life and I think just seeing all the things that have come my way it really makes me appreciate that just because I'm able to compare it to what I didn't have necessarily mm. when I was uh, when I was uh, going through that two-year period so during that two years when you had you know you did, couldn't find a pan and, and mm -hmm. it was really everything was incredibly difficult 
Did you manage to get to school and learn? I don't understand how you managed to get to drama school when you... Uh, I missed a lot of school, yeah. I'll be honest, in that time. I missed, and now you're I, writing and you missed a lot of school. Yeah, how did you I, do I, it? I missed a lot of schooling, but I was always good at faking it. <laughs> the actor in you. I, yeah, I was... I would... I think I would always pretend and put on a bit of a persona that I'd had a different education than I'd had. And... And it was this thing of... I guess you get used to the idea of being the underdog. And it's quite exciting when suddenly you can see a vision of the future that maybe you, you'd you always dreamed of. And when you can see it opening up... So for me, just getting my play done as a play reading, you start to see a vision of the possibilities. And it just makes you... It just makes you fight to achieve even more. For an audition like that, you know, the, the scripts are so confidential and they don't tell you what part you're going for. And Do they tell you it's Harry Potter? That was different. <laughs> that, that was slightly less intense, actually. But Star Wars was really... So you go to the audition, they go... Yeah, they're sort of looking for, you know, strong. That's what I always get. Strong. <laughs> just a strong woman. Because <laughs> they've got dark hair and cheekbones or something They're like that's strong <laughs> so you go in for something like that and they say come at two but you haven't got a script and then you go into a room and then they take the script out of a safe and they hand it to you and it's not really the script of the film okay. it's maybe a different film with a similar character in it it's like, very cloak and dagger right isn't it? how you get okay and then they give you the pages and they say go into that room and learn it and when you're ready, knock on the door and come in and do it. So, so you go four in. days later? No, because <laughs> it's not that much. <laughs> and then you have to give, you know, you're signing everything so you haven't, you know, and they take your phone away from you because you can't photograph anything. And, and then you hear back three weeks later that they loved you. They loved you. And that, that yeah, they were really excited. And then two weeks later, they go, uh, they've completely changed their... Um, idea for the role it's not going to be you but can you be in it anyway and you go oh right then. and they go you go what and they go we're not going to tell you till you get there and you get there and go oh right I'm doing this and then you get on the set and you haven't even been given your lines yet and you're in front of the camera and then they hand you some lines which you then miraculously you go, have to oh my god <laughs> it's the most stressful thing I've ever done I think... I, and it was only three lines but that's but more stressful than going on stressful. Broadway surely so, oh yeah yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, then went back to my trailer and Googled how to give up acting. <laughs> Literally, that is not a joke. I kind of went into illustration and thought, okay, well, this is how you can kind of possibly scratch a small living doing it. And I did. I mean, again, I've got some, some wonderful campaigns. There's a, a quitting smoking aid I think it's called Nick Nick or something anyway Uh, and my brother was the face of that so (laughs) by that I mean I did this painting of him sort of coughing up a lung you know literally and it was kind of smoking's terrible for you if you have this you know it can help you so it doesn't even smoke does it doesn't smoke no 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 and then the worst one which I hesitate to to mention but hey I will um yeah there was a campaign for thrush and my, I got my mum to pose as a pharmacist, and my sister was buying the one pill treatment for vaginal thrush, and it was un, it appeared under this massive banner headline just saying vaginal thrush. So, um, so that was fun. I didn't tell them obviously what it was for, but they saw it in the uh, pharmacist in Oxford. So. Well, you didn't tell them. No. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs>
So that Tadal moment, you know, yes. when, yeah, I was asking about Tadal moments. You know, when you've done a portrait of somebody, yeah. but that well, that was a very special. It was a different moment. kind of Tadal moment. <laughs> very much a Tadal moment for them. Yeah. I see so many people every day on social media saying, "I'm in this writing community. I want to write, and I'm going to jack it all in, and I'm going to do it." And but where do I start? You did that because your story is so fascinating because you were a policewoman. I was a policewoman. Yeah, I was a policewoman for twelve years, mm-hmm. and then I did I did just that. I, I jacked it all in. And people always say, "Don't give up the day job," but I think in in my case, it was it was the very fact that I'd given up the day job. I had no financial security. I had to make it work, mm-hmm. and so I did. Were you talking to your family about it for a while? Were you, was it sort of seven years into your career that, of the police that you thought, I'm going to do this, or was it the, se- the seven-year itch? It was after I had kids, which, which is not an uncommon mm. time for uh, lots of us, but particularly women, to be thinking about their priorities. I didn't immediately want to leave work when I had kids. I didn't have that sudden kind of, oh, I just want to be at home with, with the kids. I did go back to work. I worked full time. I had a really, really high pressured, busy job, lots of hours. And I, I had an appraisal that concluded that I was um, good at my job, that my door was always open. I was enthusiastic. I was energetic. I always made time for people, optimistic, all these great things. And I was so proud of it that I took it home to show my husband. And he read it and he said, yeah, this is great. Who's this woman? I don't know who she is. And it was it was that the absolute pivotal moment of my career because it made me realise that, like a lot of people, I was using all the best bits of me for my work colleagues and giving my family the leftovers. And that was not something I wanted to do. It had to change. Because I've seen, I've seen video footage, I think, of you in Oxford where there was a yeah, demonstration protest. protest. Yeah. And I was like, this is Claire on, you know, on the beat. Um, but just really, it's such a a big responsibility the job that you had and I can imagine that getting home to young children was just a complete massive gear change it, it was this sort of weird yeah weird conflict of of um, priorities and I, I remember one day making cakes making fairy cakes with the children so they were all all my children were born within 15 months um I've got uh, I had a toddler and then and then twins um, and I was making fairy cakes with them all. And then two hours later, I was standing at the um, Kassan Stadium watching a massive fight breaking out. And there were, you know, police horses and the radio was going mad. And we all had riot gear and, you know, flame proof overalls on. And just thinking, this is insane. And, and I felt like half of me was was mum and half of me was mom. And, and I couldn't quite make the two work together. And I know that lots of women do, mm. and I have huge admiration for them. I'm a firm believer that you, you can absolutely have a career when you have children. I found that at that particular moment, I wasn't handling it well, and so I chose to, to switch careers. Seeing a fight at the Kassam there gives you good skills when you get home and the kids are kicking off. It is breaking very up. handy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So there's some highlights back from our first series. Catch the first episode of Series 3 this Thursday, the 7th of May. You can listen on iTunes, Podbean and Spotify. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. 
Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes, so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right.